Matthew lesson 53, midway through the chapter 18. And we last looked at Yeshua giving his disciples instructions for resolving conflict that should arise within the community. The fact is, we're all brothers who should prefer one another. We're brothers who should love each other as ourselves. That means we should never really need those instructions. Right? In fact, Shaul, as we saw last week, told us that if we are at conflict with one another, we're already defeated. But Yeshua, knowing our nature, gives them these instructions just on the outside chance that there'll be some conflict or some unforgiveness within the community. The end result is that as we saw last week, is that someone fails to make peace. If they're unwilling to make peace and live at peace within the rules of the community, then we're to treat them like an outsider, like a tax collector. In other words, we're to remove them from the community and treat them without trust because they're not trustworthy. Easy, right? But then this week, Yeshua says, if we fail to forgive... We're in danger of judgment ourselves. So how do these fit together? How can we treat him like a Gentile and yet forgive? Or you'll not be forgiven. So I thought we'd see if we could make some sense out of these seemingly contradictory instructions, right? Well, the whole discourse begins when Peter asks him the obvious in verse 21. And he says, Then Peter came to Yeshua and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Yeshua answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And so Peter says, seven times, you know, which would be quite generous to forgive someone who had sinned against you that many times. More generous than most, right? I mean, even if we look at Jewish tradition of the day, we can see just how generous that is because one of the Jewish traditions of the day says this, it was taught by our Jose ben Yehuda, if a man commits a transgression, the first and second third time he is to be forgiven, but the fourth time he is not forgiven. As it is said, thus saith the Lord, three transgressions of Israel, yea, for four I will not reverse it. And so they use this passage in Amos to show that God forgave three times and therefore we should forgive three times. The old three strikes and you're out routine rule. You know that one. Peter, however, is probably referring to Proverbs which says this in 24 and verse 15. Do not lie in wait like an outlaw against a righteous man's house. Do not raid his dwelling place. For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Whichever, he asks if he should forgive a brother who sins against him seven times. And Yeshua answers with a seemingly impossible number. Yeshua says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And there's debate about this because of the way it's worded. Some people say it's seven times 70, which would be 490 times. So which is it? 77 or 490? Well, it's really an argument in futility. It's quibbling over nothing. You're missing the point. 
The point is, there's no counting to how many times you are to forgive. If your brother is sorrowful, if your brother is repentant and asks you for forgiveness, you're to forgive him. There's no limit to the number of times. That's what Yeshua is saying. And now to make his point, he tells a parable. A simple story, mind you, to express a complicated point of Scripture. Yeshua does not offer the parable to prove these 77 times, but to show the importance of what he said. So we're going to read the parable first. Begins with verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was unable to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The man fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay you everything. The man's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in, You wicked servant, I canceled your debt. Because you begged me to, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. He begins the parable with the kingdom of heaven is like. In other words, this is how the king will forgive you. And this is how, if you are a member of my kingdom, if you are part of my kingdom, this is how you will forgive. We're going to find that the parable has the same moral as something that Yeshua has already stated, and evidently, Peter missed the point. Because he told us something else in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 6 and verse 14 says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So what Yeshua is saying is that if someone comes to us with godly sorrow asking for forgiveness and we don't forgive, then we should not go to or we should not expect that the Father will forgive us either. As we already know, the Father will always judge with mita connected mita, measure for measure. The point Peter should have known, uh, the point is that Peter should have known this concept, but I think he needs a little more teaching and thus the parable. Now, it's always when trying to understand a parable helpful to identify the elements of the parable, and this instance the main subjects are a king who's representative of God Yeshua's father a servant who's us 
He's the one who asks for forgiveness. And then he fails to use that same measure in his own life. The unpaid accounts would be sins. And the canceling of the debt, of course, is the forgiveness of those trespasses, those sins. The servant of the king owes 10,000 talents. And we really miss the point because we fail to grasp the gravity of that debt. If you check out the value of a talent, you begin to realize the enormity of what Yeshua is saying in this passage. 10,000 talents today would be the equivalent of hundreds of millions of dollars. A sum that could never be repaid. And we can take that back to his word 70 times 7, an unlimited number of times. When you consider, no one will offend you that many times. The amount here is obviously a complete exaggeration by Yeshua to make his point. Just as 70 times 7 would be an exaggeration. Now, the king at first says, since he was unable to pay, the master ordered he and his wife and his children be sold for repayment of the debt. Even though he and his wife and children, coupled with all that he had, could have never paid the debt, the king orders that these things be sold. You know, anciently, you could be made to serve the one you owed as a slave until such time as the debt would be paid. But in this case, the debt could never be paid. You could also be auctioned into slavery for the debt. Your things could be sold. Whatever you were or had could be taken from you in order to pay the debt that was incurred. And this is what Yeshua wants us to see. There's no way for the man to pay this debt. He's helpless to repay. And so he's sold into permanent slavery. That's what the option would have been. Not only that, we can see the status of a wife in this instance. A wife and children. In this day, they were viewed as property. They could be sold. You know, when Barry Madoff went to prison for all of the money that he stole, his wife remained free. Just his property was taken to pay the enormous debt. But in that day, even the wife was considered property. The children were considered property. They were sold. The servant's response are words carefully chosen by Yeshua. The servant says, be patient with me. Be patient. Remember, the king in the parable is God, and the servant calls on one of the attributes of God. What does God say of himself in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6? The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, or patient, and abundant in tr goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, will by no means clear the guilty. And so he calls on God's attributes of mercy and patience. And he says, be patient with me. And the king in the story, reminded of who he is, forgives the debt. Understand that the debt he owes could never be repaid because the debt is so great. So the king, he just forgives the debt. In other words, he just forgave him for a debt so large that he never in his lifetime 
could repay it, at least by our standards, because it would be hundreds of millions of dollars forgiven. You see, what Yeshua wants us to see is the measure that God has forgiven us. And it is the measure with which he forgave us. It's the measure that we should use in our forgiveness of others, in our forgiveness of each other. And so the servant now, he's a free man. He owes nothing. And the servant now, a free man, no debt because of all that has been forgiven him, goes out and finds a man who owes him a hundred denarii. And a denarii by today's standard would be about 20 bucks. And so the guy owes him 2,000 bucks, $2,000 by today's standards. Nothing, nothing in comparison to the hundreds of millions that he's been forgiven. Again, and this is Yeshua's intent to show this wide difference between what God has forgiven compared to what we might have to forgive our fellow man. The next thing Yeshua wants us to be sure to understand is that this fellow servant, he uses the exact same words that the, the other servant used. He says, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. The point being that the servant should have emulated his master. This poor fellow is calling on him in the same way he called on his master. Yeshua is telling us that we should emulate our Lord, our master with the same patience, the same mercy, and the same kindness. The mercy that we show others, the patience that we should show others, should be the same that our Lord Yeshua has shown us. And if you're like me, that's a whole lot of mercy and a whole lot of forgiveness. But of course he doesn't. It says he had the man thrown into prison, and when the other servants saw, they were greatly distressed. And if you look at that word, it can be, mean deeply grieved. Other translations tr translate it deeply grieved. And it can also mean angered. They were angrily grieved, incensed. And so they went and told the master. And so here's what we have. We have an enormous debt canceled by the king. And Yeshua uses this astronomical sum, a sum that is clearly exaggerated to show it was a debt that could never be repaid. Huge debt when compared to the small sum the second servant owed. Relatively small. So the point is, if we are servants of the master, then we're obligated to show the same mercy that he has shown us. Even though that is impossible to do. There's no way that I can show you the forgiveness with which he has forgiven me. There's no way I can show you the mercy that he has forgiven me. However, I to supply that same, or apply that same standard. Even though, although we'll never be able to show that same amount of mercy, because what has been forgiven us is more than we will ever be able to forgive. We're to show mercy. We're to forgive. This is one way to look at it, and many commenters look at it that way. However, the master forgave the servant everything. Really, the amount, while Yeshua makes a point of showing the disparity, simply means that the servant should have forgiven everything as well. Everything forgiven versus everything forgiven equals everything forgiven. 
Everything. It's the same as 70 times 7. You'll never be able to forgive your brother. It's an exaggerated amount. He'll never transgress against you 70 times 7. You're just to forgive him everything. Just like your master has forgiven you everything. But not only was he not willing to forgive everything, he was not willing to forgive anything. Not even the seemingly paltry sum compared to what he was forgiven. And so the master's angry, and he has the servant grabbed, and remember it said this, in his anger the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. The punishment is the same he gave the other servant. Only understand this, with the astronomical debt that he owed, he'll never get out. He'll never get out. His punishment is everlasting. The master reinstated the entire debt. He reinstated the entire debt. Hundreds of millions. He'll never get out. Now one of the most frightening verses in the Bible. Verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. When you think of the wages of your debt to the Father and the trivial things that we sometimes fail to forgive our brothers, we should be able to understand the meaning here. To think that if we don't forgive our brother from our heart for even the smallest things, we will not be forgiven the enormous debt to God that we owe. It's simply one of the most terrifying things I can think of to think with our unforgiveness that God is able to reinstate the entire debt and punish us for our entire debt because we didn't forgive some small, insignificant sin. So understand, there's no getting even in the kingdom of heaven. You can't get even in the kingdom of heaven, right? You must forgive and forgive from the heart. In other words, we have to forgive with sincerity, with compassion, with mercy, a complete forgiveness. Let's look at forgiveness for a moment. Why would Yeshua and the Father be so adamant about our forgiving? Well, Yeshua is training his disciples to go out and build his kehillah. And forgiveness is the stuff community is made up of. There can be no relationships where there is no forgiveness. Because the opposite of forgiveness is bitterness, and bitterness defiles many, we're told. If we go to the book of Deuteronomy, God is giving his final instructions to Israel before they enter the land and before they live in community together. And he says this in verse 18, Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. The Lord tells Israel as they're about to enter the land, what will destroy community? What will destroy the community of Israel? And that's bitterness, unforgiveness. The writer of Hebrews tells us very much the same thing in chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. He says, make every effort to live at peace with all men and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble 
and defile many. You see, bitterness is what destroys relationship and forgiveness is the creator and the sustainer of relationship and community. The writer of Hebrews tells us something else. Bitterness defiles many. In other words, what he's saying is contagious. If you don't forgive, that unforgiveness is transferred. Think about it. If someone transgresses against you, it's really hard to forgive the transgression itself. But if the other party is unwilling to forgive, then it becomes nearly impossible. And it's certainly impossible to restore relationship, which is what Yeshua got at in the previous lesson we looked at last week. It's undoubtedly why Solomon writes this in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 17. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fatted calf with hatred. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension but a patient man calms a quarrel. We're commanded to forgive or will not be forgiven, but how do we forgive when the other party doesn't necessarily have the same desire? What makes it even harder, something Solomon says, listen to what he says in Proverbs 10, verses 12 through 14 and 18. Hatred Stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks judgment. Wise men store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. He who conceals his hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. When, my words, are, when words are many, sin is not absent. You see, here's what unforgiveness brings. It brings about evil speech. Did you ever hear anybody that speak evil of someone they liked? Not too often, right? Evil speech, hatred, and unforgiveness go hand in hand. And let me say, it's really hard to forgive someone in your heart when they're out there slandering and speaking evil of you. Isn't it? But God didn't put any exceptions on his command to forgive. We're to forgive if we want to be forgiven. And I find this particularly hard because you may not believe this, and I certainly find it hard to believe, but not everybody likes me. And some people do speak evil of me. How could that be? I don't understand it, and I'm sure you don't either. I find it particularly hard, but seriously... I and the elders have to make some hard decisions at times. Like we spoke of last week, there are times when people don't always like or agree with our decisions, and then they leave, and oftentimes they make their dislike known to others and speak of me and the elders and the congregation in a way, well, maybe we should say not so kind as they could. And yet through all of that, even though they're out speaking evil continually, even though their words, when they come back to you, cut like a knife, I and the elders and you, if it's happening to you, have to forgive. We have to be ready to take that person back into fellowship should they repent of whatever. And let me say, it's hard. I know that I'm not alone. I'm sure some of you have experienced something similar. But God doesn't give any exceptions. He doesn't say forgive unless, does he? I didn't read that. 
Listen to what Shaul says. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Letting the sun go down on your anger breeds bitterness. But more than that, this verse shows how ready we must be to forgive. And Shaul's words tells us who takes over our lives if we're not forgivers. You want to become demonized? Well, he just told you by unforgiveness, you give the adversary a foothold in your life. When you're out there speaking evil, you're sure not doing the Lord's work, right? Don't let it get a foothold in your life. Now listen to what he says as he concludes. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Messiah, God forgave you, just as in Messiah, God forgave you. In other words, just forgive. How many times? Well, as many times as Messiah forgiven you. How many more times and how many more times will he forgive you? Right? It's without number. As long as you are repentant, uh, repentant, if you stumble and you ask him to forgive, get up and dust yourself off, he stands there with loving arms. Yes, even 70 times 7 and more. You see, for Yeshua forgave us before we even asked. You realize that? He forgave us before he even asked. 2,000 years ago, he hung out a stake before we even sinned, before we were even born. And on the stake, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And don't think that you didn't put him on that stake. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You see, we need to be prepared to forgive. Standing ready as our Lord Yeshua with open arms to forgive. Something I learned long ago, and it's a predictor of behavior. Some people say, why are you always right about things? People will usually do the worst. You can expect people to do the worst in most situations because of our humanity. The worst, think of the worst, it's a predictor of behavior. And if they're going to do the worst, then you have to be ready to forgive the worst. We are to have, I forgive on our hearts. So it's ready to come from our lips. Think about it, folks. Do you think that you are going to get through this life and not be hurt? If you do, I got a bridge I'll sell you. <laughs> so we know we're going to be hurt. We need to prepare ourselves for that. Eventuality. Just as when Yeshua said, forgive them, he meant for our every eventuality. Just as when we first repented and came to know him, he forgave us for our coming eventualities as well. Amen? The past, 
the present, he knew them all. He knew that when the decisions came, we would more than likely, because of our humanity, do the worst. But all we have to do is get up and brush ourselves off and then get back in his footsteps. Now, you may be asking yourself, and rightfully so, since this discourse on forgiveness immediately follows this discourse, in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take two, one or two others along, so that in every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And so you may be asking yourself, because I certainly did, how do these fit together? How can we forgive and yet treat a person like a Gentile or a tax collector? Well, if you got the answer to that one, you have the wisdom of Solomon. And I know I don't have all of the answer, but I'm going to take a stab at it, as usual. You see, we have to, as members of Yeshua's Kehillat, walk in his footsteps and forgive sin as he forgave sin. And so we forgive on the basis of his forgiveness and through his leading and his showing us and giving us the ability to forgive. Yeshua stands at a distance and waits for our sorrow our repentance with open arms. He waits for us to ask. He waits for us to come near. And so that's how it should be with us too. We have to be complete forgivers of sin, no half measures. Yeshua does not forgive our sins on a limited basis. He just forgives the enormity of our debt. We have to forgive even before we're asked for that forgiveness. We can't wait till the person comes to us because if we do that, we'll be unprepared when he does come to us. Which means when we are wronged, we have to realize, you know, like I said last week, we probably have some fault in it as well. We have to realize that if we're not for the relationship that we have with Yeshua and his leading, we would be in the same position and we have to continually forgive and be slow to offend. Forgiveness is not so much healing for the other person, understand. It's not so much healing for the other person. If you do not forgive, you don't hurt the other person. You hurt yourself. The unforgiveness hurts you. But there's something else along with mercy and forgiveness that we have to see as a community. We also have to show justice. We have to, to do what is right. And so we need to show the person his fault as well, which is what Yeshua got at last week. If you're an elder in a community, you have to think more than of yourself. You have to think of the effect that this person may have on the rest of the community. And so do you treat the person like a Gentile until he repents? You do do that. And then because you've already forgiven, you stand ready to welcome your brother back into the community if he does repent. He's forgiven, and the firmness with which you show him his error brings him back into relationship with the community. 
and more importantly, with God as well. Mercy and forgiveness go hand in hand with justice. That's why God says, I'm merciful, patient, loving, kind, yet I do not leave the guilty unpunished. So yes, we forgive, but for the sake of all of us as a community, for his sake, we must show justice as well. Right? This is why we don't, as a community, treat someone like an outsider who has sinned against another in the community and fails to repent, the one we actually hurt is the one we're trying to show friendship to and compassion to because we're helping him along in the unforgiveness that he has in his heart. We're enabling him to continue in his sin. We're helping him in his being outside the camp. We're enabling him to be ill in his illness. Amen?